This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. It's the big week. It's almost here. Glad you're with me. I'm Dan McNeil on the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Very special night around the corner. Thursday night, the NFL Awards Ceremony. I've got a guest standing by. We're going to talk about one of the Hall of Fame soon to be in Shrinies, I hope. But before I do that, I want to let you know where to go to make your moves on the big game. Bet Rivers is offering a second chance bet on your first same game parlay on the big one. Place a qualifying same game parlay on the big game. And if your bet loses, you get a bonus bet equal to your wager. With your same game parlay bet, you also can earn a square that can be worth as much as $10,000. See the Bet Rivers app for full details and bet on the big game at Bet Rivers. The NFL awards ceremony has become something I enjoy every year, and Keegan Michael Key will MC Thursday night's awards, and he kicked it a few years ago. I sound like a kid. He was outstanding, very entertaining program. And when we get to the Hall of Fame announcement, Steve McMichael, a lot of Bears fans expecting him to get the call from the seniors committee and his former teammate, one of the hitmen, Doug Plank, is joining me on this podcast today. One of the most physical players in Bears history and one of the easiest guys to talk to I've ever met. Plank, thanks for the time today. It's good to see you. You look great. And I'm expecting you to sound even better, man. Well, thank you. Thank you for all the kind comments. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to keep walking and talking after you've had like maybe 30 concussions through your career. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had four joint replacements, both knees, both shoulders. But if I had to do it all over again, as Steve McMichael has often said, I would do it in a second because just the exhilaration of running onto fields and there's anywhere between 60, 70, up to 100,000 people cheering you on, you literally can't even feel your feet touch the ground. You feel like you're on a mission floating across the field. And the exhilaration and the opportunity and more than anything else that you mentioned, to get a chance to meet people that I never would have met in my life. Growing up in a town of 3,500 people in Pittsburgh, outside of Pittsburgh, I mean, I was you know, going to be very contained in terms of what I did and who I knew. And this NFL football and college and college football just created a whole opportunity for me. Your last two years with the Bears, Doug, were Steve McMichael's first two years with the Bears. And he didn't earn Buddy Ryan's affection very quickly. He didn't get a start until 83. Um what do you remember about young Mongo, the the raw Steve McMichael, before he harnessed some of that wild man from Texas and became a great football player? 
You know, I wouldn't even say it was raw. I would say it was real. That was the real Steve McMichael. When he was in meetings, there he, he would make comments during the film. All the other players are quiet. They're sitting there. They don't, they're like mice. You know, they don't, they don't make any noises because Buddy Ryan is, is going through the film and ripping everybody <laughs> for the jobs that they didn't do. And Steve's back there laughing and making comments like, like he's a broadcaster, like he's on the radio commenting on the game film. And finally, Buddy just said, hey, listen, what, what is going on with you? I mean, he, he's, he, he always took everything to the edge. I remember when he went into the weight room. Most guys, you start at, you know, with light dumbbells, 25, 40-pound dumbbells. No, Steve gets the 200-pound dumbbells. He's throwing those things around. I remember one, he came in, and he liked bench pressing. And no warm-up. He puts 400 pounds on the bench press, and he, gets, he grabs the bar, and he lets it come down and, and pound on his chest. And he does this for like 10 times. It boom, boom, boom. I, I really thought he was going to break his rib cage. And but that was Steve McMichael. I'll never forget the funniest day that it, that I in my my memory of Steve. We were in the defensive meeting room, and uh, you know it, it was not a great facility. It, we, we actually rented a building from Lake Forest College up there in Chicago, and we hear this ding, 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 like like a truck is backing up. Well, a truck was backing up. It was a tow truck, and they backed up the Steve's Cadillac in the parking lot because he hadn't made any payments. Now, all the players will look at this, can look out the window and see this. And we're going, what is going on out there? They, they stop at Steve's Cadillac, hook it up, ding, ding, ding. Steve and his car are gone. You know, they're, they're, they, they take the car. Steve's, Steve's going crazy inside. I mean, there's nothing he can do because I don't know if you've ever talked to a, a tow, tow, tow truck driver. When he is, his mission is focused on the car. When that thing is hooked up, there is nothing you can do. You can't offer him any money. You can't bribe him. So after that, we called Steve Curb Warrior because he had no car, and he was asking everybody for a ride. And he was walking a lot. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he started showing what his capacity was, and it was the willingness to go through a game and be, have the last play of the game look like the first play of the game. Same effort. Same wild, crazy Steve McMichael. Uh, he would put his body at great risk. There's a lot of players now and in the past that, that make business decisions during the game. They didn't want to put their body in situations where they thought they might get hurt. You know, they would slow down. They would, they would do more of this grabby grab. Not Steve McMichael. This guy was one speed. You go down the dark alley at night, you want Steve McMichael next to you because this guy is going to sell out. Yeah, Gary Fensick told me back in October, your secondary made 45 and 46, um, that there was no tougher son of a bitch on that 85 team than Steve McMichael. And and we didn't start that conversation, Doug, by doing a tribute to Mongo. I kind of, I buried it in the 85 stuff so he wouldn't be biased by what's gone on with Steve as he battles ALS. And he didn't think, to, Steve McMichael. That's the guy you want next to you when uh, when the bullets are flying in the alley or on the field. The dude played in 200-plus NFL games. He started 171 games for the Bears. And, you know, I've tried not to be a total homer when it comes to offering an opinion on Halls of Fame. So I, I, 
I've not until recently thought Mongo was a Hall of Famer. Yeah, 95 sacks from the interior last summer, Richard Seymour, and there was one other cat, a local guy from Chicago Heights, played at Michigan for the 49ers, Bryant Young, who got into the Hall of Fame, and they were in the 50s, and they played on the edge. This guy is what the Pro Football Hall of Fame is all about, isn't he? Yeah, there's there's no doubt. I mean, for Mr. Blue Collar, uh, like I said, having grown up in Pittsburgh, that's all I knew was blue collar football. Steve McMichael should be at the very front of that line. Uh, you know, as I said, he came to work every single day. There was no like, oh, I got to take this week off, or no. In fact, he he relished getting in front of players that were supposedly the best in the league. He couldn't wait until he saw the best in the league and what he could do to them. And I, 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 again, he was one of a kind. All the players that I had met at Ohio State and Chicago Bears, nobody, there's nobody like Steve. I mean, you just knew that when you were in that huddle and you looked over at him and that, that glare in his eyes, you were going to get his best each and every play. Mm-hmm. You know, I was obviously aware of your Buckeyeness um, because in the mid '70s, a guy named Archie Griffin helped me fall in love with college football. But I, I learned recently, you did not earn Woody Hayes's love, unless somebody got on your Wikipedia page. I saw something about only a handful of career starts. How does that happen, Doug Plank? Well, I'll say it's, it starts the day you get there. Um, the day we got there, the, all the freshmen, the new uh, signings, went over to the stadium and they put on a helmet, a pair of shorts, a T-shirt, and, and shoes. And they took us out there on the field and started teaching us plays, defensive and offensive plays. At the time, they didn't know where to put me because I, I was a quarterback in high school and a defensive back on defense. So they put me over there on, on offense. And uh, so I had a chance to run the ball a few times that first day. And, and, and on one of those runs, I came through the line of scrimmage. And suddenly, each of the players trying to impress the coaches, their level of effort started going up and up and up and up. So after like 20 minutes of doing this supposedly walkthrough practice, it was a tackle. We were, in, we were tackling players. And they were, they were tackling us. And we were trying to run over them. Do with a helmet, T-shirt, and shorts. Well, one guy came in. I didn't see him coming from the side, and he hit me in the side of the knee. And much like you see an alligator in those wildlife movies, the alligator bites onto something and then starts spinning like this. Well, when that player hit me, I knew something had given. It broke, you know, was broken there. And I got on the ground, and then this guy started rolling, and I hear I could hear this pop, pop, pop in my leg. Well. Unbeknownst to me, I had partially torn a ligament. I tore all the cartilage. And my first day at Ohio State, I was in the hospital. My second day, I was operated on. So when I came back, that was the last, that's the last thing I did all, all that year, that one day of practice. Surgery, you know, recovery, wait for next year. And I had a definite determination. I didn't care what game, what play, what the situation was on the field. If Doug Plank is going on that field with or without a helmet, look out. You're getting my best. And I, I learned to start lifting weights. I had never lifted weights in high school. I began that program. 
and it, be, it, it turned me into somebody that I wasn't before. Great strength. And uh, so when I started my, my sophomore year, I was behind several players, mostly all first-rounders, Neil Colsey, who went to the Raiders, Tim Fox, who went to the Patriots, and other players like uh, Craig Cassidy that went to the Saints. All these players were in the top five rounds. I had a great game against Northwestern my senior year. Tim Fox, the guy in front of me, had a high ankle sprain. I got put in the game late in the first quarter. I had the game of my life, interception. I, I made all the kickles, tackles on the kickoff team. I, everything was just happening. It was like one of those days. So unbeknownst to me, the next week I'm back on the bench again. So I only had a limited number of starts. There's a lot of players out there that made the National Football League coming from small, small colleges. How many of them sat on the bench and, and were only had only started four to five games in their whole career, and most of those were in my sophomore year, Tell me how many of those guys survived in the NFL. There's very, very few. So when I got to Chicago Bears, I realized, I found out why I was drafted. The Bears came to Northwestern. We played Northwestern in Evanston that year, and two Chicago Bears scouts came to the game, and they saw me put on this tremendous demonstration. They go, who is this kid? We don't even know who he is. He doesn't even play. He's, he's the backup. Well, even though I sat on the bench, you know, the rest of the year, uh, they they put me in a position. They said, this kid's worth the draft choice. And I, I was the most surprised person in the world that draft day when I get a call from Chicago and I'm at a class and I come home and my roommate goes, somebody from Chicago just called. They said it was the Chicago Bears. I go, yeah, that's that's pretty funny. Back then, they had uh, they had they had workout day. Uh, I'm trying to think what they call it that where all these teams would go around to each university, and they still do it. And besides the combine, these, play, these uh, teams go around, and they individually test the players at universities. I was not there. I was the only senior on the Ohio State football team that wasn't asked to go work out at a facility with all these scouts. So why would I ever think I was going to get drafted? The point being is when I got to Chicago and Jack Pardee was a the best thing for a new player is a new coach. Jack Pardee was a new coach that year, and I knew Jack liked tough players. So when I got to that, we, our, we the first thing we had was a, a three-day workout in, in Florida because Jack was coming from the World Football League, and he had an association down there where they worked out players. I didn't care. My mindset now, I, I knew we only had helmets and shoulder pads or uh, T-shirts. I, I was tackling everybody. When they, when they left after three days, they were saying, this kid is insane. He will not stop at anything. And when I got started in training camp, um, there was a starting uh, defensive back. Uh, the free safety on the Chicago Bears uh, was injured. Gary Lyle was his name. And it looked like he was going to have surgery and not participate that year. Um, they asked our, this group of, free, of, of, of new players, they go, has anybody in here played free safety? I sh shot my hand up like this fast. I go, Coach, that's the only thing I've done. I've played free safety my whole life. I know you didn't have a lot of footage of it. I love free safety. That's how I became a free safety. I, otherwise, I was playing corner. I played corner, a boundary corner, they call it, because the hashes were real wide in college, and I played always on the short side of the field, or I played occasionally at strong safety, but never, ever at free safety. So you can imagine, 
In between practices, I'm watching film on what a free safety does. And I self-taught myself that training camp. At the end of it, I was the starting free safety on the Chicago Bears and actually led the team in tackles that year, which had never been done by a rookie. Uh, Amazing. I I had nothing but amazing uh, experiences in my life. There are two things in your story about becoming a bear that I I feel obligated to comment on some things that are just so bears like Um, it's fortuitous for you and the bears. They saw your best game as a collegiate in Evanston because Hallis probably didn't have it in the budget to send anybody on an Amtrak to Columbus to watch Ohio state play. He was always saving nickels. And, uh, and does anybody know how to play free safety? They've asked that up at Hallis Hall in recent years, it seems. But not so much lately, and I'll get to that in, in just a second. I want to ask you to talk just a little bit more about McMichael and that group that followed you. I always joked McMichael and Dan Hampton were Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. They were attached at the hip. They were buddies. They remained so close. They did. And I tell these younger guys, Doug, because they ask, what is it about the 85 Bears or the Bear? Because the Bulls won six titles. The 85 Bears were the Rolling Stones and shoulder pads. They had as much color off the field as they had ferocity on it. And nothing ever could rival that in this city again. What did you think of that group watching as a proud alum, a guy who made his living by taking no quarter and giving no quarter on the defensive side of the ball. They, they took Buddy Ryan's philosophy and, and multiplied it many, many times. Um, when Buddy Ryan came in my fourth year in the league, uh, Jack Pardee had just left and uh, Buddy sat down, I think a couple practices and watched film. He goes, you're no free safety. He said, I'm going to bring you up closer to the line. This, this was, it took some time. You know, when Buddy first came in, it was 78, 79. So we started occasionally running this thing he called the 46. He called it the 46 because the line, I was the middle linebacker. So I'll never forget the day he put this on the, on the board and he goes through everybody's assignment. And, and, and I was the last one he detailed. He goes, and, and Doug Plank is going to be at the middle linebacker position. He's going to call all the line shifts and all the coverages. I mean, this was a tre- tremendous responsibility. Uh, and you know what? And, and he said, you know, he's going to tackle people and, he's, and we're going to deceive. And, and Buddy would do things like this. He would always try to identify the, the, the strongest and best linemen a lot of times on the other team. And he would take players like Steve McMichael, Dan Hampton, and if it was somebody that we knew we could take advantage of, instead of playing like left tackle like Dan did or or Steve did, we would put that player right over top of that guard or tackle that was the weakest player on their team. And this was a mismatch at at all costs. Dan and and Steve or whoever was going to just beat the crap out of this guy. And that was the beginning of the – you know, most defenses are read and react. No, we reacted and then we were reading. So everything was on the run. Um, I started getting sacks. I started getting a chance to hit the quarterbacks, you know, like on blitz, blitzes uh, and, and call plays and do things, you know, that, you know, really nobody else had done um, before. And they didn't know how to judge it. 
And every week, Buddy would come in and he would line, put all the plays that the other team ran in, in, up to that point in time in the season. Might be three games, four games, five games, whatever. Buddy would then put a defense next to it that he wanted to play. And they, and they always lined up in certain formations which, which key, which plays they were going to run. So I had to know which – and Gary also, Gary made all the calls in the secondary. Uh, he was behind me. And uh, we, had to, we had to memorize this thing so that him and I went in the, into each game and we, you know, we had this whole game plan. Whenever they got in a certain coverage or a certain formation on a certain down – at a certain place on the field, we would call the defense and the coverage to match what they were going to do. That's why they, this had to scare the crap out of them. We're yelling before the ball is snapped what the play is going to be. And Mike Singletary did the same thing after he came in and replaced me. He was more dramatic. He was putting the guys here, here, there. They're going to run here. They're going to throw the pass. I didn't do that because I didn't want to let them know that we already, we already knew what they were going to do. And that about that Something like that, though, when you get something that catches on and it's aggressive and it's, it's defense, defensively minded, going back to the huddle was like a playground technique or experience. We would go back there laughing and, and high-fiving each other in, the, in their puddle huddle because we were destroying that, the offense, not just stopping them, intimidating them, knocking them down, more physical. I mean, I've never seen that many quarterbacks get thrown to the ground um, and they, did, they didn't know what was going on. You could hear them talking on the line of scrimmage as the play was getting ready. They didn't have any idea how to block this or anything because we were shifting left, shifting right. <laughs> I mean, it was hilarious. It was like uh, it was like being someplace that you, you knew where everything was going, but they didn't know anything. You estimated 30 concussions. Um, I wept when I watched the movie Concussion. Doug, and I didn't watch it for a few years. I was friendly with Dave Dewerson. We weren't hangout buddies, but he was very loyal to me and I was a regular contributor on my shows, participated in golf outings. How do we keep the game physical at the secondary position in particular? Because I'm tired of watching guys hand fight and go at the, you know, at, at the shoulder pads instead of dipping a shoulder in and making a difference. You can do it without being flagged. How do you protect guys and get the physical part of the game back for DBs? Yeah, that's tough because those DBs are now, they, each year they keep running faster and faster. And, you know, really a concussion is, is movement of the brain inside your skull. And, you know, the, the really difficult part of it is, regardless of whatever helmet they put on a player, when that player is running 18, and I don't know, 18, 19 miles an hour, and all of a sudden he suddenly stopped, you know, it, 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 hitting another object that's probably bigger and larger and heavier than he is, uh, whatever helmet you have on, I, I don't say it doesn't matter, but that your brain matter inside your skull is going to move around. And it's going at the same speed you are when you make that initial contact. So regardless of what's – this may take away stitches and other contusions to the outside of your body. But, you know, in terms of stopping immediately after going fast like that, I don't know if there is, is a specific reason or, or, or thing that you could do. Um, I think the league has done everything that they can and, 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 are, and are, go, are doing everything they can. I think they're running studies and 
evaluating. Um, but you know, it's it, it is a you know the rules have changed also. Um, you know, it used to be when 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 receivers were lined up even split. You know, you could time. You know, when the ball was snapped, you could time it, come up and, and chop their legs down, or Receivers that were running through the secondary when I first got the Chicago Bears in 1975, you could hit them before the ball was there. So in other words, you don't even have to wait for the ball to be in the air. Someone runs a crossing route, you take him out. He's not going anywhere. He's, he's on the ground. So I would say from strictly the aggressiveness and physicalness of the NFL football, there were rules in place back then that you could actually hit each other in many more ways and in much more damaging ways, you know, that they didn't see it coming. You know, right now there's a whole bunch of rules against hitting players from the blind side. You know, a lot of times they do reverses and things like that. So they get a guy going in one direction like this, one direction, and then the play is going to go the other way. He turns like this, and that guy is running full speed. You got to whack him, just knock him off his feet. Mm. Uh, those, those sort of plays now are not legal and they'll be fined uh, and uh, penalized. And, but you know, it's, it's I mean, I, I still think it's a very, very uh, tough <laughs> sport. You know, some of the hardest hits, I'll just say this, is when I hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of times, you know, once you get a reputation of being a hard hitter, you're like, you're, you're like a rabbit in the woods. Every animal out there is trying to eat you alive. <laughs> and they're, they're hitting you from behind, from the side, I mean, I, I was, a, I was, you know, like a, you know, a 360 degree camera looking in directions that I, I could see people coming for me. I couldn't see anybody coming from behind. Um, the other crazy thing about this, Gary and I were, were sometimes criticized for all the tackles and things we made. If Gary didn't lead the team in tackles, I did. Like I said, my rookie year, I led the team in tackles. How does that happen? How does a free safety lead the team in tackles? And, you know, it was amazing. I, I, another one of the things that I, I think, you know, hurt me at Ohio State, when you only get in a few games, you're, you're so excited. This is like the thrill of the lifetime. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to get in the game. I'm going to get in the game. You know, running on the field at Ohio Stadium. You're not even really interested in, like, trying to make a, a technical tag, tackle. Like, I'm going to break down here, get, get my balance right, and I'm going to try to grab the guy. No, you're so excited. You're running at everything. And if you notice any of the things that I've done in the past, it's I try to just run through people. I I, I pretend they're not even there. They're they're it's just like one of those things you run through, like at the carnival or something. And and well, this game that I got in at Ohio State, I, I hit a this is a Michigan Michigan game, which nobody forgets Michigan games. I hit a guy and basically knocked him back five yards. He was a running back. He had his he was from Michigan. He was a talented player. He regained his balance and ran 20 yards for a touchdown. I got the reputation in Ohio State my last year there that I couldn't tackle. I could knock people on the ground, but they just said, You're, you can't tackle. You don't, you don't even know how to tackle. I, I thought it was ironic that one year later, I get drafted by the Bears and lead the team in tackles. <laughs> well, yeah. yes. You Fundamentals my ass. Watch this guy go on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Doug, last thing I want to ask you about, and man, I could spend all afternoon doing this, uh, just so many other things I'd like to talk with you about, but I want to ask you about your continued popularity in Chicago. 
And admittedly, this is uh, this is a selfish question because I've worked for people who weren't as smart as I am or was at the time. You probably have too. And I had a radio station's program director in 1993 tell me, why would we want Doug Plank on the radio when the Bulls are playing the Phoenix Suns? Ron wasn't from Chicago. He had a news background. He didn't know everything he should have known to be in his position. I said, we'll ask Doug Plank about the, the Bulls and Suns. He lives in Phoenix. He's willing to drive by. Yes. He's pretty popular with people who know the Bears, and there are a few in this town. And I, I saved a picture back before we took pictures on our phones when we had those gas station. Oh, yes. uh, I'm very fat in this photo. I look like Chris Farley. I've, I've lost a lot of weight after that. But that's Doug doing 30 minutes of great radio with us in Phoenix. And today, the super fan at Soldier Field wears a 46 freaking jersey. This guy last played for the Bears when Ronald Reagan was in office. That has got to make you feel better than any award that could be stowed upon you is that you still have a place in the hearts of Chicago Bears fans. You know why? I think uh, I grew up loving to watch the Bears, and I'm from Pittsburgh, so I watched the Steelers. Two teams that were not very successful in the 60s. Great defenses. They beat up on the offense. You know, no team wanted to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. Maybe not not, the, not because they couldn't win. It's because physically, I and I loved watching Dick. And, and I so when I got there, I said, listen, I have a, I have a duty to, to be here and play a certain way. I'm not going to go out here and play you know, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab you and maybe we can you know, do a dance on the way down to the ground. No, I, my memory was of Dick Bikus throwing people to the ground in all sorts of manners and ways. And I try to do exactly the same thing because I knew there was somewhere out in that crowd, the Chicago Bear fans wanted to see that kind of football. And that was me. I, I, I always try to be the nicest guy off the field. But you know what? You have to have two faces. You have to have the capacity to once you hit that field, there is a huge change in you, in, in your in your context, in your attitude. And I'm, I'm not saying I was I was trying to hurt anybody. I was just trying to hit everybody as hard as I could. If pain and injury came from that, look at myself, the concussions, the replacement of joints, shoulders, knees. Uh, I didn't complain. Uh, I, I had already gotten over the pain threshold, you know, that, like I said, there were so many people that I ran into, they talk a good battle, but when they get out there on the field, when you walk on that field, you realize this is different turf. This isn't just, we're going to play a game. You're looking across the, the, the field. I had, after some of the games my rookie year, I would have former Ohio State players come up to me and go, Doug, I thought we were friends. Why did you hit me like that? I said, because if I don't hit you like that, I am going to get fired. I'm going to get cut. I said, I won't even be on this team. I'm a 12th rounder trying to hang on with my fingernails and I will do every, anything it takes to hit anybody as hard as I can and continue and maintain the Chicago bear legend. Doug, thank you for the memories for all bears fans listening and watching. And thanks for the time today. It's, it's been a treat. Good luck to Mongo Thursday night and good luck to you, man. Yes. Thank you. I, I, 
I, I wish the best for Steve because, you know, those players and those teammates don't come along very often. That's Doug Plank, eight years in a Bears uniform, every damn one of them memorable. I'm Danny Mack, and that's going to conclude this edition of the Mack Podcast, thanking my producer, Sam Michael, Adam Delavitt, Baby Capone, who runs the show, everybody on the staff, Troy Mocker, Randy Merkin, and Alex Pastor. Lots on Super Bowl 58 when we get together tomorrow, right here on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.